Bibles to Philippians 2. We're actually going to begin reading at verse 5. If you're following along in your pew Bibles, smaller ones, it's page 981. Uh, But Philippians 2, beginning with verse 5. And just to reassure you, plans to uh, visit, plans to finish uh, Philippians uh, before the end of April, Lord willing. (laughs) Philippians 2, beginning with verse 5. This is the word of God. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Amen to this reading of God's holy, divinely inspired, inerrant, infallible word. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, open up our eyes by the power of your Holy Spirit that we may behold wondrous things in your law. Lord, we ask um, that we as your followers would be growing in our grace and knowledge and obedience of our Savior and Lord. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in the powerful uh, gospel pamphlet, actually it's an apologetic 
pamphlet entitled Ultimate Questions, and I think we still have some in the back. It's a, a little pamphlet written by John Blanchard, and in this booklet he asks and then provides scriptural answers to the most significant questions that mortal humans can ask. Questions such as these. Is there anyone there? Is God speaking? What is God like? Who am I? What went wrong? Is sin serious? Where do I go from here? Can religion help? Is there an answer? Why the cross? How can I be saved? And then the last question is this. Which way now? He concludes about writing about the the vital importance of of service uh, for all Christians. You know, here's his closing sentence. You know, it's not a thick book, but it, it brings home all that he has been teaching. And I quote, From now on, seek to live in such a way that in every part of your life you should proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I invite you to turn with me, if you're not there already, to Philippians 2. And uh, we're studying... I'm preaching on Philippians 2, 12 through 18, but, you know, to, to remind us of the context, last week we looked at Philippians 2, 5 through 11, we witnessed and worshipped as we heard this glorious hymn that extolled the work and the witness of Christ Jesus, our Savior, uh, the one who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Philippians 2.8, we, we sang that hymn, Consider Well, and one of the lines read, reads as follows, Consider well that serving men became his lot, the king became a slave, becoming man that men might live, that sinners he might save. And so in this glorious doxology, you know, we are worshiping the Lord, but Paul being the, the, the great gospel preacher that, that he is, you know, they, they teach you in seminary when, you know, before you finish the sermon, answer the so what question. And so after this doxology praising the Lord, Scripture answers that that so what question. You know, how does the humility of Christ, his lowly incarnation, his sacrificial death on the cross, God's glorious exaltation of his beloved son, how does that impact us as we live as his own children? And here in Philippians 2, 12 through 18, we learn this. Scripture teaches us this, that as God's beloved children, and that's what we are, as God's beloved children, let us labor as faithful witnesses for Christ. Well, what should characterize then our, our faithful witness for Christ? It begins with faithful labors, then faithful lights for Christ, and, and finally faithful living. 
But look there at Philippians 2, uh, verse 12. Faithful laborers for Christ, therefore, or so then, my beloved. Paul is preparing to, to apply all of these glorious gospel truths about Christ. Sinclair Ferguson helps us here. He he writes, now we find Paul pointing out that there is a logical connection between the work of Christ and the life of a Christian. Paul underlines the obvious implication, those who are in Christ and belong to him must also be obedient. Now, as Christians... You know, we, we labor for the Lord in faithful obedience. Now, note, note here first that, that Paul calls the, the church at Philippi beloved, my beloved. You know, Paul unashamedly declares his, his love for his brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a good thing for us as Christians to tell one another, uh, you, you are beloved in in the Lord, not only does Paul love them, but more importantly, Christ loves each and every one of his children, his beloved children, his blood bought children. You know, it's it's a gracious love that Christ has for us that, that transforms us. Ephesians one, Ephesians five, verse one and two puts it this way: Ephesians five, verse one. Therefore. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The church at Philippi is commended here as you have always obeyed. You know, might it be said of Hope Presbyterian Church, every Christian church, you, you have always obeyed the truth of God's word. You know, gospel obedience is a glad fruit of our faith in Christ. You know, we obey the Lord because he loves us in Christ, and we love him. So after this commendation, though, there, there is a command, and it's a striking command for, for us as Christians, especially for us in, in, the, in the Reformed faith, those who believe the Bible is uh, the truth that we're sinners saved by grace through faith in Christ, uh, we're given the command, work out your salvation. You know, it, it, it's a present tense command, and it's plural, meaning it's given to all of the church. Work out your salvation. With fear and trembling. Work it out whether, Paul says, whether I'm present with you or I am absent. Remember, he's writing this letter as he is confined in the Roman prison. You know, work out your salvation. All of you keep on laboring for the Lord in his kingdom work. Keep on living by his grace and for his glory. Now, listen carefully, though. You know, does, does Scripture contradict itself here? You know, we're, we're sinners saved by grace through faith, and now we have this command, work out 
your salvation? Is, is the Bible telling us two different things here that, that obviously seem to contradict themselves? And, and the answer to that is no. You know, pay attention for, for all of us. You know, Christians can never be saved by their good works. No matter how many good works we do, no matter how long we do them, you know, we can never bridge that chasm be- between us as sinners and between a holy and a righteous God. You know, all our good works are as filthy rags. That's the way I learned it in the King James, but hear it in ESV, Isaiah 64, 6. Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. You know, Calvin here reminds us that, and uh, he gives us a quote here, and I'll briefly explain it. He writes, Pelagians of old, so papists, and that's another way of saying Roman Catholics, Pelagians of old, so papists at this day make a proud boast of this passage. Who are the Pelagians? You know, in a nutshell, the the Pelagians, well, Pelagius, did not believe in original sin. He he minimized uh, God's grace in Christ. Uh, He he maximized free will. So Pelagians of old and Papists here make a proud boast of this passage give you uh, another passage here and uh, please turn back you know so you can read it word for word and jot jot it down in your notes Ephesians 2 8 through 10 you know with Philippians 2 verse 12 uh, still ringing in our ears work out your salvation with fear and trembling we read this Ephesians 2 verse 8 and, and again, this is the, the same Apostle Paul who's writing this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We're not done. Here, verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our good works do not save us. They do not merit God's favor. You know, but, but our good works are a, a visible evidence, a fruit of our faith in Christ. You know, our own Westminster Confession of Faith, it's there in the back of the Trinity Hymnal, chapter 16, you can find it online easily, teaches us, quote, just a portion, these good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. 
you know, our good works done in obedience to God express our thankfulness to God. They stop the enemies of the gospel. But we should never depend upon our good works for God's pardon. Again, we can never merit or earn eternal life. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, why fear and trembling? Is it fear and trembling? You know, God's going to whack us. You know, we get out of line. You know, is it fear and trembling? I've been good, but have I been good enough? That's what a lot of religions say. You know, it's only the good work of Christ on the cross that, that saves us. But our fear and trembling is another way of saying worship. There's almost the same expression. Hebrews twelve twenty eight. we are to worship God with holy reverence and awe. You know, it's our humble privilege to labor in God's kingdom. But there's a last expression there in this first section, faithful laborers for Christ. There's a word of comfort there in Philippians 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, God, God saves us by his grace to us in Christ. That's God good's God's good work, but he continues to work in us. You know why? You know, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, for his own glory. You know, conforming us to the image of Christ, preparing us uh, for heaven. You know, the Lord providentially and powerfully works in every believer as he saves us from our sin conforms us to the image of Christ by the word of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, it is God's gracious will to be glorified in our sanctification. We are becoming more Christ-like, becoming more holy, hating sin more and more every day, loving righteousness more and more. We're desiring to labor and to live for God's glory. You know, faithful laborers for Christ. You know, often when we think of work, or could be just me, you know, my mind reflects back to Genesis 3. You know, God created Adam and Eve, set them in that glorious Garden of Eden. You know, and what did Adam and Eve do? They, they disobeyed God. They, they knew the truth of God's word, especially Adam, and they disobeyed God. And what did a holy God do next? You know, he, he brought his holy judgment upon them for their sin. He cursed them. You know, part of that, the Lord told Adam that thorns and thistles would infest the ground, that he would labor by the sweat of his brow. You know, but, but now we're speaking of, of God's good work in us and, and his call for us to be his faithful laborers, not, not just for preachers, not just for Sunday school teachers. You know, we, we are all to be laborers in God's kingdom work to faithfully labor with humble perseverance, with God's holy power and for his good pleasure. Faithful laborers for Christ. That's how we are 
how we are living, how we are to be living as children of God, as his faithful witnesses. But now, verses 14 through 16, we are to be faithful lights for Christ. You know, a second command there in verse 14. The first one there in verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now the second command, do all things or all things do, or literally, you all do all things without grumbling or disputing. Who? Now scripture is going to meddling with us. You don't have to raise your hand. Last time you or I were guilty of the sin of grumbling. You know, what's grumbling? Murmuring, muttering under your breath. We we say a a great example of it in in Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16, beginning with verse 1, you know, situation is this. God has just, you know, gloriously delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt, parted the Red Sea. They've they passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. They saw all of their enemies destroyed. God then provided water, sweet water, drinking water for them in the wilderness. And then we, we pick, pick it up, Exodus 16, verse 1. They, that is Israel, set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And, now verse 2, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You know, they're they're not grumbling against Moses and Aaron. They're, They're grumbling against God. You know, what are you doing, Lord? You know, why, why did you bring this hardship into my life? You know, they're, they're grumbling. And uh, to ensure that, skip ahead to verse 12, Exodus 16, verse 12. You know, this, this is what the Lord speaking, the Lord God, Jehovah. I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. That story doesn't end well for Israel. You know, God hears our grumbling. You know, maybe we think, well, I'm just grumbling to myself. I'm grumbling to my spouse or my friends, co-workers. No, the the Lord hears our, our grumbling. Grumbling comes from a spirit of ingratitude towards God. Grumbling and questioning or disputing. You know, back to Philippians 2 verse 14. You know, what's questioning? This seems to be an inward, you know, we think it's a silent sin. You know, we're just thinking it. No, but, but it's no less serious before God. 
were questioning, you know, God, why are you doing this? You know, in my life or in the world, in my work situation, whatever it might be. You know, why should Christians not grumble or dispute? It's a poor gospel witness. But listen to the Lord's reassuring guidelines. You know, there beginning with uh, verse 15 of Philippians 2, six gracious guidelines for all Christians. And we are just going to get the, uh, the, the 30,000 foot view on, on each of these guidelines but hopefully you can get a good taste, uh, understanding of what each one means. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that, or literally so that, for this purpose, that you may be blameless, so that you may be faultless. Unless you think that's an unreal standard, it's an expression used of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. In Luke chapter 1, verse 6, they were walking blamelessly. Second, innocent or guiltless. You know, we were innocent as doves. Third, you know, and this is an important one, believe Children of God. Now, if we're seeking to be or faithfully obeying this command, you know, don't do thing, anything without with grumbling or disputing. You know, keep in mind always that 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 we are Christians are children of God, God's children, not by creation, but by Redemption. You know, we are beloved. We are blood bought, bought by the shed blood of Christ on the cross. We are adopted into God's family. You know, hear this from uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, or you can follow along. I think we've already looked at it in Sunday school. Romans 8, verse 15, one of the, the great, greatest chapters in Scripture. Romans eight fifteen, for you, speaking to Christians, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You know, that, that's an important expression, we are. Right now, we are children of God. It's not, we will be children of God in glory. You know, right, right here and now. You know, we're God's children. Back to Romans 8. That we are children of God, and if children, and then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may also be glorified with him. You know, we're, we're God's adopted children. We are children of God. Without blemish, you know, here's, here's the fourth guideline. Without blemish in the midst of a crooked and a twisted generation, unblemished, you know, like a sacrificial lamb, 
you know, we've been reconciled to a holy God, you know, by the, the glorious sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, puts it this way. Colossians 1, verse 22. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he, that is Christ, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. You know, unblemished. Holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You know, that's, that's what Christ does for us. Without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And no, Philippians was not written in 2023. You know, we we live in that crooked and twisted generation. Crooked means a synonym being perverse, morally warped. You know, no sense of right and wrong. Twisted. Uh, one one uh, grammar put it this way it's a misshapen bowl on a potter's wheel. If you've ever done pottery, you know, and that, that wet clay goes all wacky on you, you know, that, that's us. We're, we're twisted. You know, it sure sounds like our fallen world today. Fifth, among whom. You know, here's a word of encouragement, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know, that's what we as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, are called to do. Shine as lights in the world. Yes, we live in a crooked, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. But don't quit. Persevere. Shine. Keep on shining. As lights, remembering that Jesus declared to us, I am the light of the world. Well, we are lights because we are filled with Christ. Holding forth, or whom you shine as lights in the world, we radiate God's righteousness. We reveal his grace and glory. You know, some believe the word lights there, you know, keep in mind, ancient days, they they didn't have you know, glaring spotlights, you know, but the, the word lights there refers to stars. And, and you know, we have a full moon now, hard to see the stars, you know, but, but you go out in, in the dark, you get away from the city lights, a new moon, you know, and, and it's amazing how the, the stars shine in, in the darkness, You know, we are to walk as children of light. Ephesians 5, verse 8. You know, think think of light. Light is visible. You know, the the world around us ought, ought to look at our lives and see that we are lights for Christ. Lights are helpful. 
It's been a while since I've flown, but you know, you're 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 coming home, and it's at night. You know, and it, it's great to see the landing lights of the plane come on, and then to see the runway lights. You know, I'll soon be landed, you know, can get out of this plane and, and go home. You know, lights. You know, or, or if you've ever been around uh, the ocean, you know, a lighthouse that shines in, in stormy weather so those ship captains don't run upon the rocks. They can enter safely into the harbor. You know, or, or then again, thinking, thinking of stars, thinking of the North Star. You know, the, the brightest star, you know, still used for navigation, you know, by, by sailors and others. You know, that we are lights for Christ in, in the darkness. But then the sixth one, we're blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights And then verse 16, holding fast. That can also be interpreted holding forth the word of life. You know, and I believe it's not an either or, but it's both end. We're, We're clinging, you know, holding fast to the word of life. We're holding fast to the truth of scripture. You know, but, but we are also called to hold it forth. You know, if we're lights in the world, you know, we're, you know we're, we're called to shine and speak of the light and love of Christ. You know, that, that simple children's hymn. No, we're not going to sing it this morning. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I don't remember all the verses. Young people, you're going to have to remind me. You know, holding fast, holding forth to the word of life. You know, we continually cling to God's life-giving word. You know, these are the words of life that, that give us spiritual life, new life, eternal life in Christ. You know, and holding forth the word of, of life, we are called to clearly, compassionately communicate the gospel to the world around us, the wicked world, the, the crooked and Twisted generation all around us. And now in Philippians 2.16, the Apostle Paul adds a personal note about his labors with the church at Philippi. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. It sounds strange after speaking of humility especially the humility of Christ that the Apostle Paul would say, I may be proud, you know, but it's more like a proud father after his child is born or does well in school. Most importantly, that, that his gospel labors for the glory of God were not in vain, that there, there's fruits of the faith you know, displayed by the church at Philippi. It's a prayer that he, too, may be found faithful, faithful to the finish. You know, I believe there's nothing more sad than one who lives a vain life. No purpose in life. 
Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. One with the most toys wins. I don't think so. Now, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and uh, the Lord's Day was the Lord's Day. We had morning and evening worship service, Sunday school always, and then we actually had youth group uh, before evening church, you know. Again, I'm not, none of us are saved by our church attendance, but the point I'm trying to make is at each of those occasions, we sang. You know, we sang in Sunday school, we sang in church, we sang in youth group, and then we would sing at evening church. And at evening church, I still remember, we used a different hymnal from the morning. It was the service hymnal. Some of you might be familiar with it, Brown hymnal, but one of the hymns that we sang was a hymn entitled Living for Jesus, uh, written by Thomas Chisholm, who actually is the same Christian who wrote Great is Thy Faithfulness. But here are two of the verses. Living for Jesus wherever I am, doing each duty in his holy name, Willing to suffer affliction and loss, deeming each trial a part of my cross. Then the last verse. Living for Jesus through earth's little while, my dearest treasure, the light of his smile. Seeking the lost ones, he died to redeem, bringing the weary to find rest in him. And then the chorus, O Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to thee, for thou in thy atonement didst give thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live. O Christ, for thee alone. That's what we're called to do, be living for Jesus. So faithful labors, Laborers, faithful light, finally faithful living for Christ. Real quickly, verses 17 and 18. You know, we close with these last two verses. We get a close-up look at the Apostle Paul's pastoral heart, his love for the saints at Philippi, and more importantly, his love for his Lord and Savior. You know, again, the Apostle Paul goes back to Old Testament imagery here. You can read about it in Genesis, Numbers. He speaks of his loving service for the Lord as a poured out drink offering. You know, a cup of wine poured out to the Lord as part of a holy sacrifice. Alec Motier helps us here. He writes, it was the small thing which brought a major offering to completeness. So the last thing, you know, I'm, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. And, and you pour out all of the drink offering, you know, to the last drop. And so the Apostle Paul, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, and here he's talking about his death, maybe even the shedding of his blood, You know, he writes, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I love that this portion 
of Scripture about living as children of God ends on this note of joy and gladness. It's, it, it's not just a, a, a burden that we have to carry. We should not serve the Lord grudgingly or grumble, with grumbling mouths. You know, we, we do it gladly. You know, we're, we're serving our, our loving Lord who laid down his life for us at the cross of Calvary. We're rejoicing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, there, there's a, I'll just read one verse. Close with this. Jesus illustration, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Matthew 5, 14 is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to, to his followers You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I have to read verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now that's what we are called to do. You know, live as gospel lights for Christ. Faithful witnesses for Christ, not so that we would be praised, but so that God would get all the glory and the honor and the praise for his redeeming love for us in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we we thank you. We thank you that you have saved us from our sins by the shed blood of Christ. We thank you that you have sealed us by your spirit, your Holy Spirit. We thank you as well that you have called us, each and every every one of us as Christians, to, to serve you, Lord, to live as children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Lord, I pray that we as Christians, that we as a churchman, would not grow weary and well-doing. Lord, may we continue to be found faithful, faithful in our gospel labors, faithful in our gospel witness until Christ comes again or you call us home. We give you thanks always in Jesus' name. Amen.